All right, hello, Idiots on Parade, the Too Ugly for TV podcast. Hi, Jake. How's it going? And hello, Jeremy. Hey, guys. Thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, hey, I appreciate you inviting me to do this. No, no worries. Uh, folks, uh, Jeremy, Jerdog, Danley, how do you want uh, to be referred to on the show? Is Jeremy or do you like, uh, do you go by the Jerdog? Jerdog works just fine in most cases. Jeremy is fine. It's usually whoever's, whatever you're most comfortable with, you know. My mother will never call me Jerdog. Uh, neither will my wife, unless she's talking to somebody else. So that's not actually on the birth certificate, then. That's uh, a nickname of some kind. What's that? I, I, no, I was just, I was just small. I was like, so that's not actually on the birth certificate, then. No, not at all. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So Imagine the that. reason I wanted to have uh, Jerdog on the podcast is because. Uh, Idiots on Parade, our tagline is part comedy, part politics, completely stupid. And uh, Jake and I, we generally, we don't we don't talk comedy a lot. We just try and make what we talk about funny. But um, Jerdog, you have done something very interesting and, dare I say, exciting that I really enjoy. Um, you are a comedian, and instead of going with the flow and beating your head against the wall that is trying to get in with all these comedy clubs and making yourself stand out and like, hey, I'm funny, I can do this, look at me, and then getting beaten out for gigs by someone that's been on TV for three minutes and can't stand on stage for, you know, more than that, that gets that gets a gig. You've just set out and set up your own gigs where you just hustle and hustle and hustle and you go to these places and you stand on stage for two hours and keep audiences entertained. What was that done out of necessity or did you try the standard comedy route and say, this is not really what I'm into? What made you break off and say, you know what, I'm going to strike out on my own and start doing my own shows and taking control of my own career? That's a really good question, actually. Um, and it's a combination of all of that. You know, Nathan, when you get started out, uh, you kind of go on the road and you're the feature act, right? And I would get booked at comedy clubs or even these one-nighter runs where you're just doing a series of three one-nighters for a booker or an agency. And then you do like a weekend somewhere. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it seemed like a lot of those would just get canceled last minute. And, you know, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s when I just started out on the road. And it was so frustrating because I would take time off of from the part-time job that I had then. And they didn't look too highly on that to go out. And you're, you're going to do what? You're going to drive eight hours for 100 bucks to do to do jokes, to do this comedy thing? No, we need you here at the job. Right. And so you can only take so much time off and it gets very frustrating when those shows cancel out last minute because some guy from TV is coming through, you know, Polly Shore's in town that week. And so now we're canceling out the headliner from his position, making him the feature act and making, you know, you can come out and you can be the MC for free. That's what I would usually get offered to do. And I just had enough of those go on. I had enough of frustrations with industry politics as you, I imagine you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I remember going back to my days when I would just, I didn't come up in the comic clubs. I came up in karaoke bars and I would just get invited to do house parties. 
So a lot of my early, early bookings weren't even to comedy clubs. They were just things that I did on my own. So I'm like, I'll just go back to doing that again. And it just became more fun. It, you know, there are no rules. There, there's no time restrictions. There's no uh, content restrictions. There's no uh, this bachelorette party's in the crowd, but also this company's in the crowd. But we also want you to be edgy, but we also want you to be clean. You know, there's... It's like so many different rules and regulations and preferences that you have to try to adhere to. And I just can't do that, man. I just get on stage and I just want to have fun and be a jackass and make people laugh and get paid for it. And I don't see what's so wrong about that. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. You said, like, just from your statement, I, my, my mind is going in so many different directions. And uh, I don't know if I can rope them all in. First, I, I do, before we continue, I want to make sure you can hear Jake. Um, Jake, because like, I, it sounds like there's a delay between you yeah, and I Jake. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lag be, be, between uh, me and Jeremy right now. But yeah, it's, 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 as, long as, um, as long as we're both recording, it, it should be fine. Yo, I can hear you just fine, Jake. If I'm rambling and you're trying to interrupt, I probably won't hear you. Oh, that's okay. You just get lost in your own. Okay, so I just so we'll just. Uh, all right, uh, so I just here, get lost in the, the love of my own voice. <laughs> we all do. No, yeah. So, well, and plus we're doing it remote, so there's there's a little bit of a lag too. But yeah, it, it it happens. Yeah, we're all several hours apart at this point, Jake. More than anybody in New York City. But so uh, the first thought I have of many is you talked about the politics of comedy and one thing i discovered way too late in my career is is i it's not that i'm antisocial or an introvert but i have enough introvert in me that i always just went to the gig i tried to be pleasant to everyone like hey how you doing nice to meet you i'm just gonna go get out of everyone's way and then when the show was over i'd go home and I did not realize how much that was hurting me at the time. I thought that if you got on stage, were funny and original, that they would bring you back. And then over years and years, I discovered, wait a second, that guy tanked, but he went out with the staff and management and owner and got stoned and got drunk afterward, and now he's back and I'm not. <laughs> oh, it's like any industry in the world, in any industry, the corporate industry, in, in restaurant, in, in anywhere... It's it's personal. It's relationships. It's about it's building weird. That guy relationships. Always has bad sets, but he seems to have an eight ball sized bulge in his right pocket every time, and then he's back the next weekend. <laughs> yes, that's how that works. Out. Jimmy Pardo once made fun of uh, the guy. He he he. It was the eight ball comment. Only he used pizza. He said that he always hated pizza comics, where the comic would show up and be like, "Hey everybody, I ordered pizza for the club," and and he was Jimmy would be like, "Oh, that means you're not funny. You're just trying." But it would work, and and yeah, the, I I've it, wait it took for me the so audience. Figure, He'd order pizza. No, for no, the audience, no, for the think? staff, like after the show, like. Uh, that hey, had been a metaphor for eight balls. They're not going to book a shitty comic for pizza. They're going to book a shitty comic for blow. That's it. <laughs> well, that that's I'm now in New on York this one for sure. Well, back in the day, back in the day, you get no, some but I get what you're saying. It's, it's the kiss ass move. I'm going to bribe you into booking me again. Right, right. Well, it's just the vibe. Even if it's it's more the 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 pizza just signifies this is a cool dude. He look, I'd like to hang out with him as yeah. opposed right, to yeah, Nathan they, they, they who just leaves. They hang out and schmooze. Even if it's not literally like 
here's a thing to book me again. Here's this, so you'll book me again. It's it's um, the hanging out and schmoozy. I I I I I, I kind of have the same thing going on. I I don't really like the hanging out and being schmoozy, even if it doesn't involve me uh, buying a bunch of drugs for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've learned to be better at it, but I'm still not good at it because I'd rather be genuine. If I'm talking to someone, I will talk to anyone. But if if 10 minutes into a conversation, we start hitting these bumps of, yeah, you know, I, I, I think vaccinations cause autism and I, uh, I think Trump is a great president. I'm. I'm not going to attack the person. I'm just going to sort of back off because I'm not going to fight him like, well, here's why you're wrong. I'm just going to smile and go, uh-huh, 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 and find my way out of there. And then again, I didn't hang out. Um, so, Well, I think but, that's where a lot of comedians uh, have that perspective of they just want to do the show, but the hanging out and the schmoozing afterwards is not so much fun. But... Here's where you have to blend the two, I feel like. I don't look at it as schmoozing, and because I definitely am genuine, but I also don't, if someone says something along the lines of something that I don't agree with, I don't, I just don't, I just act like who, they didn't even say it at all, and I just continue with the stuff that we find common ground on, and then keep it funny. It's not that hard to be funny. We all got into this business to be funny, because we're funny. So I, it seems to me like, why is it such a challenge for comedians to just be funny in conversation after the show and hang out with people? But I've also gotten in trouble for not do, I've gotten in trouble for doing that and not doing that. I've gotten, I've gotten not booked at clubs because I was the guy that went outside and smoked pot with the staff after the show. And then I've also <laughs> gotten not booked at clubs because I was the guy that did not go out and smoke pot <laughs> with the staff after the show. So yep. really. It's like you, you can't please everybody, but I love hanging out after the shows. That's one of my most favorite things to do is try to meet everybody that came there the night if they want to and if they're hanging out. And that's something that you get to do when you put on these shows in unsanctioned venues like nightclubs, taverns, neighborhood bars, roadhouses that in a comedy club, you can't do that either because they just shuffle the audience right out. I think maybe sometimes there is that's one of the things that sets me apart from for most comedians is I actually like doing that. I like to keep the party going, do the show after the show. Well, I, I think what Jake was just trying to say is, Jake, go ahead. I agree. I the the audience is one thing. The politics of the internal club is another. Is that what well, you're saying, Jake? Yeah, the audience and and the staff can can be fun to hang out with. If if you're just casually hanging out, having drinks, having a good time, that's not what I'm talking about with schmoozing. Schmoozing is uh, I'm going to block out everybody for the most part, except for this one guy. And I'm just going to try to kiss his ass. And so now every conversation is a chess game to how can I get on this guy's good side? And that that's a different yeah. kind of hanging out. It seems like with, with just booking your own shows, you've managed to cut that part of it out. And now you, when you're hanging out afterwards, you're just hanging out afterwards and having a good time with people. Yeah, that no, you're exactly right, and I've I've never liked those guys either. That they're the pizza bringers that Nathan right, right. referred to earlier. You know that kind of schmoozing. That is that's just schmoozing to schmooze, and you never know, you never know if that is actually what the club owner wants, or if a lot of them they don't want you to kiss their ass like that. You know, because they're onto that. 
You know well, what I'm saying? Well, it. when it's obvious. But, it, I mean, if, if somebody is doing it... Go ahead, Jake. I mean, you have to get on somebody's good Unless side Jake is gone. at the end of the day anyway. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, I, okay. I, you dropped off my end, but, uh, okay. I mean, you're still recording you, so it'll all work. Um, yeah, I think we all enjoy hanging out with people, shaking hands, and, and just chilling with cool people. It's just a matter... I think uh, Jaredog nailed it. You You never know what you're getting into. Some... And that's that's why you just got to be who you are, and that's not everyone is going to like you no matter what you do. So you just have to be genuine because Jaredog said it. Some clubs, if you hang out with the staff, they'll be like, "Don't don't fraternize." And some clubs, the staff has great power and will say, "Hey, you know this guy was cool. Bring him back." Oh, okay, whatever. And others, you know, the guy won't listen to anybody but what he thinks. There, you know, I've worked clubs where. You know, the staff is like, oh, man, we wish we could get this guy back, and he just doesn't like him. And that's literally all it is. It's the, the one person doesn't like the comic, and that's all it takes. Yeah, and when there's only so many of those venues to go and versus how many comedians are all going for the same spots, it just makes it... You know, I came up through the clubs, and I learned, and I met a lot of guys... And I still go out to a lot of them that I like to be, you know, uh, just hanging out at. I, I st I'm still a comedy fan, number one. Yeah. Um, but I think once you, once you figure out who you are and who you appeal to, it's best to just go directly to where those crowds are instead of trying to go for the same spots that all the other comedians are going for. And then trying to appeal to everybody. Well, let's segue into that, too, because that was something else I mentioned in passing. You talk about first, find, right there, you talk about finding your audience. And then second, you, you mentioned, you know, you're competing with all these other comics for these slots in these clubs. And again, as I mentioned in passing, you, you get these guys that can go on to late night TV and maybe they have the best six minutes in the world. And you're watching and going, holy crap, I wish I was ori that original and funny. But then I hear all these stories or you see them and they don't have 45 minutes. They have that really good six minutes and then they are told, yeah, get on stage for and talk for 30 minutes or 45 minutes for, or an hour and they just can't do it. Your gigs, Jeremy, you are on stage, you know, an hour minimum, but then it can go 90 minutes, uh, two hours, and that is a skill that it's just sort of, well, I mean, it's a skill that takes years to develop, but it's also sad that that gets ignored by the industry that continually gets distracted by the shiny object that is television. Like, well, you've been doing this 20 years, but this guy's been doing it three years and he got on TV, so he must be really good. It's not always the case. Yeah, you know, that's why I consider the industry to be my basement office at 1223 Northwestern Avenue in Ames, Iowa. You know, this is the industry <laughs> for me. This is your industry. Right. And so all I got to do is keep the Jaredog machine running. All you got to do is keep the Nathan Timmel machine running. The industry is exactly what you make of it. We now own the media. We can all do podcasts. We can all do video blogs. We all can do YouTube channels. We can all reach out and build a following. And then all you have to do is be able to sell tickets. And once you can do that, you don't need anybody. Well, I mean, and it doesn't take that much. It takes 100 loyal fans across a, a certain region that you can travel to. 
and always give them something new and different and exciting and they'll keep buying tickets and coming back and the and you why why don't you have to kiss ass to the club owners because you just brought them a ton of customers and a ton of money that they wouldn't normally have had on a friday night well and that's nice when you as as the business owner and the person in charge of your own destiny can go directly to the the venue owner because I, I haven't thought of this in several years, but I remember uh, you talk about when you bring uh, a club customers, um, the, 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 the comedy clubs, they sometimes don't care. I, you, I haven't thought of this in years, but I once had, uh, I still have a friend in a city who did a date night thing. She got uh, like 48 people to come out on a Wednesday night. And the club owner went, holy crap, 48 people. This is amazing. Well, there were there were like 52 people total there. And I said, yeah, I, I, was resp- I was the feature act. And I said, well, yeah, 48 of them are here because of my mailing list. And she went, oh, that's great. And then just completely forgot, never bumped me up, and actually doesn't even really book me. And meanwhile, the headliner's gone back because I, I'm not sure why. I, it, and you can go crazy trying to... But did to- she notice that, that n- those people weren't there the next time? I mean, she had to have noticed that, yeah? I don't know because I wasn't there. That's the whole thing is she she made the definite comment like, and I said, those are, and she went, wow, great. You saved the evening. If not for these 48 people, we would have canceled the Wednesday night show. And I'm like, oh, cool. She noticed. But then it didn't, there was no long-term benefit effect to me, which I'm like, well, that's interesting. Sure. You know, like, huh, you'd think you'd notice that your comic was able to hustle and bring, but what I'm saying is what Jared Dog is doing is, He's making direct establishments with with non comedy non comedy traditional venues, and they notice the benefit right away. Oh, and we have a Jair Dog show. These many people come out, so right, they they, they respond. The yeah, right. That's what Jair Dog is doing, and and God bless him for doing it. Well, and Thoughts? Nathan, I've got it even one step further than that. I had a very similar story where afterwards I was like. Uh, yeah, I go, you know, it was so cool that all, all my fans came out, you know, I'm known in this area from being on the radio back in the day. And uh, the club said, well, you know, they do their telemarketing outreach where they essentially paper the room. You know what I'm talking about, where they offer right, free right. tickets to like a zillion uh, businesses around town. And they go, well, of the people that we telemarketed to, none of them had ever heard of you before. And I'm like, well, imagine that. Your random sampling of people didn't, had never heard of me before. Is that what we're going for? Like to try to just find out who's never heard of me? Or are you just yeah. happy with the 48 people that had heard of me that bought tickets tonight? You know, it's they. I've got frustrated with the way that a lot of club owners, not all, a lot, not all. There's some yeah, really, no really, one's really cool in absolutes here. comedy clubs. But for the hassle and the hoops, and then at the end of the day, when you do bring in 48 people, or you do have a show where otherwise they would have canceled if you hadn't been there and brought in business a lot of them don't show the gratitude for that by even just booking you again so it could be a zillion reasons why not it could be the fact that oh yeah you brought in the 48 people but you didn't smoke pot with the staff in the parking lot or you the never reverse, know. like you said it could be the you didn't bring in anybody but you went and smoked pot with them and well we we like you said every club is different they're they're all over the place 
You never know. So instead of trying to appeal to that, I just try to appeal to an audience and we can all do it. You're doing it right now. We, We all do it with our content that we can deliver out there. And then no matter where you go, you've got a crowd. Isn't that's what Stanhope essentially did? You know, he yeah, just Stanhope built his own following, and you know, he might play unsanctioned venues, so to speak. But I guarantee you, that's a good business model for him. Seems to be yeah. anyway. Well, yeah, he. If, if, I I don't know the exact, but I'm pretty sure from what I've heard. I know I heard this from one venue in particular. I think two actually. So I'm, I'm, it's probably his business model where he just sort of says, hey, we'll do a show there. I take the door. Uh, I charge you nothing. I take the door. You take all your drinks and whatever. And, you know, if 100 people turn up, then that's 100 people that, you're, that are buying drinks from you. And the thing is, if anybody does any research into a Stanhope crowd, they go, oh, well, everybody here is an alcoholic. They're going to buy a ton of drinks. So I, I think a Stanhope show in any venue generally does well. And I think he's transitioning right now. I've seen him doing bigger venues. Like he was doing just, you know, offshoot, interesting, like you're doing right now, places and just, just doing comedy. And now I think he's doing um, slightly larger venues. So Yeah, I saw him uh, in, in New York maybe three, four years ago, and he did three nights in a row at this place that I think held like 300 people or something. I mean, it was, God it was a damn. lot. Yeah. And did he, um, obviously three nights in a row, that means he had to have a sellout in there because you it don't add a show. Yeah. 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 You I don't mean, every add a show filled, if it's not. There were standing room. Yeah. It was, it was packed in there. And what kind of venue was it? Uh, I mean, it wasn't a theater, but it was. It was, like, it was a, like a ballroom. It was called the Highline Ballroom, and it was a really nice room. It looked like the kind of place where you would maybe have, I, I don't know, some kind of graduation or some some sort of formal ceremony, but like like a, like a really nice one, you know, for like a university or <laughs> or, or just something. I mean, it was, and Doug was in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those where it it, it was a ballroom. With a big stage, so you—it was really set up and designed, from what I could tell, for a, for a, a a pretty wide scale of acts, you know, anything from graduations to theater to orchestras even looked like they could do something in there. I mean, I hell, I I don't know, I don't know anything about orchestras, but I know the the sort of the, the interior looked like it might have some sort of you know formal music thing some. The fancy music, the pinky in the air, let's go, uh, you know, ruin people's 401ks kind of music, that kind of thing. <laughs> the, the, the Baron Robbers and Corporate Raiders. Yeah, this, the, the kind of music where people show up and you might see a dude wearing a monocle non-ironically. Like a dude with a monocle that's not a hipster. You gotta be, you gotta be into some fancy shit to see those guys walking around. And then after the lights go down, they put on some eyes wide shut masks and everyone takes off their clothes. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think that was the night before because I slipped on a few things that were very questionable. Very questionable. (laughs) See, I told you, Stanhope has it figured out. Yeah. I mean, and he he did that. (laughs) Stanhope is the guy, he, he, he just did it on purpose, not on accident. He just said, he, like you said, Jeremy, he said, uh, he got frustrated with the system. He got frustrated. Like, I, I don't, well, fuck it. I can tell a Stanhope story. I, I remember he went to a club in Milwaukee and uh, was booked Thursday, Friday, Saturday. 
and got sent home after Thursday was fired. And I, my friend was hosting the show. So the next time I went to that comedy club, the owner was there saying, I, I had to fire Stanhope. He walked half the audience. Half the people were walking out. I, I told him, don't, uh, don't do anything that's whatever, blah, blah, blah. And half the audience left. And so then I talked to my friend that hosted the show, and he said, a four-top left. A table of four got up and walked out. And the, the owner was like, oh, those four people. Like, there are certain club owners that will overreact and expect the comedian on stage to get everybody they want it to be so vanilla that nobody is offended and i'm not saying it's any comedian's job to offend the audience but it's really goddamn difficult for a comedian to walk into any room and expect every person to like them there being universal is like in any audience you're going to have people that like rap music or country music mm-hmm. or right, classical right. music and they're not going to go to different music venues you know on accident but they do show up in the same comedy audience and you have to find a way to relate to them and you can have a great batting average and hit 90 95 97 99 percent of the room but there's probably always going to be one to two people that might just sit there and go eh, not my thing you know like even if they're not staring daggers at you and hating you there's like "Eh, i'm not into this and you get club owners that get that and go, yeah, he gets the majority, he does a good job. And then you get some like the guy that fired Stanhope and they went, nope, he walked four people out of a full room, four right. is too many, that's it, early. you're done. Yeah. I well, think I, Howard yeah. Stern talked about that. I think Howard Stern called that like, I, in private parts, he called it like the 2% rule. There's a There, there are owners that, that say if you get 2% of complaints, they don't worry about the 98% of people that are happy. They just focus, right. on, focus on the 2% of negativity, and then you're in the doghouse. Right. Well, I, I, even, I even went to, you know the Jennifer Lawrence movie, Red Sparrow? Have you seen the previews or anything for that? I've seen the previews. I'm, I'm ignoring it because I'm not interested. Well, I, I went to it. It was okay. It was it was decent. It was nothing special. It was a little unrealistic, you know, but it was it was okay for what it was. But you you got what it what the movie was about off of the previews. It is a movie about a female spy in Russia who's like a like a sex spy. Like the kind of thing like listen, go bang the ambassador and then while he's laying there post orgasm, you start asking him questions because he's going to be off guard then, right? That it, she's that kind of spy. So there was some people that walked hey, out. It, it worked on the Marines back in the day, if you remember the Marines. I can't remember what country that was. Was this in the eighties where they were banging? Uh, oh, I, fuck. Uh, sorry. Continue. But I know it happened. The Marines got in trouble for banging and giving up like uh, uh, troop quantities and shit. Right, yeah, I mean, it was it was just a spy that that essentially does that, and she's in this school where it's you know it's 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 sexual, but it's also rough and dark. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's 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 a training program, so they're like breaking them down, and they're it it wasn't even that bad for what I just described. You know, which which is what the movie made it seem like it was going in, and there was even still people walking out. I was kind of sitting by the door, and it, there wasn't a lot, but there was you know one group of four, one group of two. And I even heard one guy go, go on the way out. It's like a goddamn porn film. And I'm like, well, she's a she's a, a prostitute spy. Yeah, dude. What did you what did you expect coming in here? And it's like, if anything, I thought the movie was too toned down. I, I thought they they made her too much of the the rough and tough guy as opposed to the lady who's getting kind of controlled by this this evil um, big brother government thing the whole time 
and I there was still people that it was it was too much for him. So if they if if that movie is getting a few people walked, showing you in the previews, hey, this is this is absolutely what the movie's about, and then giving you a kind of a toned down version of that, honestly, um, then yeah, I I can only imagine a comedy club where they're like, come see a comedian, and then they show up and and they get Stanhope. I'm surprised it only walked four people, man. If if they show up and they're like. Oh yeah, I like I like comedy. I like Seinfeld. I like Jeff Dunham. I like I'm sure I'm gonna like this. Who, who's this guy? Doug Doug Stan something? Yeah, I'm sure he's great. Probably like Seinfeld, right? And then <laughs> they show up, and then yeah, I'm 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 not shocked that I'm shocked that that few people left in a in a in a comedy club where people will just kind of show up expecting anyone. Sure, th- this was mm, in the early 2000s so he was still doing a lot of comedy clubs right. and you talk to him and he knew the game back then he's like all right i know i can do this i know i want to say that and and if you follow his career it was like as he went through the 2000s he learned to care less and less and became more about you know what i just want to say what i want to say and i'm going to find my audience to say it so i hear what you're saying but i think he was still right he, he, i don't want to say towing the line back then but he he understood where his paycheck was he's right, like right. i need to pay rent so i'm not going to get on stage and offend the entire audience but he also was told if i if i'm remembering the story correctly i don't remember what cd it's on but he talks about uh, using a rubber fist uh, and he's like when's anyone going to be in a sexual situation where they need a third fist and he was told not to do that bit so he opened with it so i think it was a lot the the comedy club owner was also like well he defied me you know right right <laughs> but jake yeah, you're so exactly right there's a big early. difference between audience members between the type that are just rolling around looking for something to do that night and, oh hey it's comedy night with two guys we've never heard of which quite frankly most People have never heard of most comedians, you know? Right. And so they'll roll into just expecting generic old comedy night and what their version of that should be. But then there's also there's a big difference between those type of audience member and the type that already knows you, has already decided they like you, and you can get up there and do practically anything, and they're going to go oh, right. bananas for it. And, uh, you know, when you're playing those dynamics – where you've got the people, the more people that walk out, the harder the other 20% cheers for you. That's when right, you really right. start to build an audience. And then the club owner really, if they have a brain in their head, shouldn't care if those other ones walked out. Because the what the, the business that the 20% that loves you is bringing in more than compensates for it. Like if they're really yeah, looking well, at it from a business sense standpoint. You know what I'm well, saying? Those- now, now that you say that he opened with that bit that the booker told him specifically not to do, it, it makes a little more sense now because I think the booker probably saw him do that. And from that point, he was just angry and was looking for any excuse not to have him back. And one, one, one table left. So he was like, ah, the way this story goes in... It, from my news media the next day, which is which is my story. Anytime you tell a story, it is it is from your point of view. It is your Fox News. It is your MSNBC. It is it is your Kim Jong Il pro you propaganda. So the way yep. his 
pro-him propaganda story went the next day is that he exaggerated on that four top, which then became half the audience, <laughs> which is a wild exaggeration. But he it, it gave him that one little excuse of, oh, people are leaving. Who cares about how many? I, I fucking don't like that he did the thing I told him not to do it. I, I think it was probably more yep. about that. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't disagree, yeah. Um. Uh, not to keep going on stand it, it was probably his ego. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's, yeah. And he's, he's looking past numbers. He's looking past how good is this guy. He's, 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 he's ignoring all that shit. Um, and he's just going for, I'm in charge. This is my domain. That kind of thing. Have yep. you ever walked a room or walked a crowd or walked a section or walked a group? Um, I, not, not anytime but, recently. But, yeah, back, back when I was new and I felt like I would do shit that was uh, – "Quote unquote edgy," without getting "quote unquote" good first. <laughs> That'll walk a lot of people. I've, I've, I think the most I've ever walked is like four people, two different two tops. Like I, 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 uh, I've never walked uh, anything more than a table uh, that I can think of. Although it did happen a couple of weeks ago, fairly recently. But again, I was the, the guy that was booking the room was a comic. It was in Fort Wayne, the Fort Wayne Comedy Club. Um, and the guy that runs it is a comic. And I do this joke where I use the word faggot. And then I say, you know, that's a pretty... I, I refer to myself as a faggot. And then I tell the audience, like, hey, I have a pretty- joke where I refer to you as a faggot too, man. That's it's weird. <laughs> we both, I, wonder, I wonder if it's the same. You do yours, and then I'll do mine. <laughs> well, I just... What I do is after I refer to myself as a faggot, I sort of chastise the audience. I say the audience is... What, what I, I, I say the audience... I'm like, right now, the audience, you're looking at me like, oh, look at you, you skinny little faggot. And I go, yeah, that's, I'm a little... Skinny. But audience, call me a faggot. Like, you can assume i'm gay but faggot's a very harsh word and right now there's someone in the audience going but you're you're the one using that word i'm like yeah i know that's the joke and then i follow it up with sort of a pro-gay material well with the now that we're in the era of trigger words the instant i say faggot even though i'm about to use that as a stepping off point to discuss why it's an inappropriate word uh, a couple people left and I asked the, the guy about it afterward, and he said, well, it, I think they were trans. And the funny thing was is there were a couple uh, gay people in there who afterwards, uh, lesbians, came up to me and said they thought it was hilarious because they waited it out. And that's the problem with trigger words. If you hear me say one thing and you react and go, I'm out of here, you're going to miss the point, which, you know, like if, if you, obviously if I double down and go on this hateful rant, uh, tirade about gay or whatever, uh, then, yeah, walk out. But uh, when, when you walk out just because you hear your trigger word without waiting the five minutes for me to explain or do the joke or do the twist, which is why I'm using that word or yeah. like, picking on myself. And that so it was good to have like a, a, a club owner get it and say, yeah, I'm not worried about them. The audience was laughing and the audience stuck around. Those two people left. That's on them. Sure, you didn't make them laugh, but that's on them. Mm hmm. Yeah, he understands that it's the context, not the content. Sorry, yeah, go go ahead. What were you saying? Jeremy? Oh, I'd say, you know, considering the club owner is also a comic, that he would understand that it's the context, not the content. Yeah. Have No, so uh, I've only walked two people and it's it's very rarely i, I get lucky you know maybe i'm not uh jake admits to his what, what about you uh jared uh, have you ever gone after a room and uh you know like i i 
what are you doubling down at that point and like yeah get out of here or has it happened only if it's a disruptor that will i do that but um i essentially double down every time i get on stage i just try to be myself to the absolute hilt and if people leave then that's their they're fine that's fine too like i certainly don't want them to stick around and sit through something that they hate you know yeah. you can walk out of a movie you can walk out of my show the other people that will be there that are having a great time they'll, they'll stick around and they'll be drinkers all night and they'll tell everybody what a great time they had and usually if in this day and age with social media everybody knows who you are everybody knows what's going on everybody you can you get tons of feedback on and whatnot on your social media so let's say you get some complaints that's kind of it's kind of funny <laughs> you know <laughs> i think it's kind of funny i think it's funny when people leave i had a guy leave just this last weekend he got upset about something that i said you know i'm not like what you just described not understanding the context versus the content whatever trigger word it was and but he kind of seethed about it and it was maybe 10 minutes later before he spoke up and yelled at me, you do your job and I'll do mine and made some violent threats. And uh, I thought it was going to be one of those situations that you see on you YouTube where, where the, he made violent threats at you. Jesus Christ. What was the what was the what was the topic of the joke? He made a violent threat. about? I think I was I, I have a bit where I talk about how I can't wait to be an old man. And, and he was an old man and took offense. Or did he hate to... the elderly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, anyway, uh, that's where I double down because everybody knows that everybody sees it's a happening. Now it's a happening. Now everybody sees this. And I'm not going to fly off the handle. Uh, everybody knows that it's coming from a good place when you keep your cool. I see a lot, a lot of comedians, they'll fly off the handle. Oh, yeah. And then they double down in the negative. I try yeah. to double down on the positive and just keep it funny. Like, keep, make the guy into a super villain compared to my superhero on stage. And then even though he's the villain, at least he's got superpowers. And then it's like, goodbye. Everybody give a round of applause for, you know, jackass. And it keeps it positive and fun. And if a club owner has a problem with that or a club manager has a problem with that, it's like they, they don't know they don't know their business very well. But most of them don't, especially the comedians. Com comics who run clubs or comics that are bookers can go two ways. Either they're really fucking good at it or they're really horrible at it. I don't know where I oh, fall in that yeah. spectrum. Oh, yeah. But that's just me I rambling. I did have a situation a couple years ago where it looked like a guy was walking out, so I went on a Michael Richards-style racial tirade on him where I was just screaming the N-word on stage, and um, I really wish I hadn't done it because it turned out he was just going to the bathroom, and dude wasn't even black, you know what I mean? So it made it very confusing <laughs> for everybody involved. Very awkward. Um, it's hard to go back into my set afterwards. It's hard to go back talking about current movies after you've been... Uh, wildly screaming the n-word into a microphone so uh live and learn won't do that again <laughs> i just had a thought um i'm gonna circle back to my own uh story from five minutes ago um the same bit that i said i had an interesting experience at a casino in michigan where it was the same bit i just described where i use where i say faggot and then i turn it around i had a guy come up to me after a casino show in michigan 
And he literally said, hey, I thought you were pretty funny. I agreed with most of what you said. And just, you know, knee-jerk response, I said, oh, well, I'm curious. What didn't you agree with? And he said, well, I didn't like your faggot material. It seems like you like the gays a little too much. And I went, oh, all right. And You're then not he bought it on to me, are you, buddy? Well, and here's the best part. Then he bought a shirt from me, shook my hand, and left. And so I just thought it was so interesting that this guy who did not like my pro-gay agenda, for lack of a better way of explaining it, was still, you know, he 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 enjoyed enough of what I did to shake my hand and buy a shirt after the show. Where the people who should have been listening to me because I was on their side, were the ones that walked out and sort of were like, well, he used the word faggot and we don't agree with that without waiting for the the, the, the gist of it. And and I hadn't for, I had forgotten that until Jaredog, you said something that made me remind it. But I thought that was an interesting twist is the guy that actively didn't like the pro-gay side of things sat through it and then talked to me about it afterwards. But the people that I'm trying to support and be an ally to a straight white male me trying to be an ally to the gay community just heard me say something and were so turned off that they walked out. And maybe it's because, you know, they, they experienced a lot. I can't get inside their head. Maybe they experienced a lot of discrimination. Uh, maybe they think a straight white male has no right using certain words or talking about their cause. I don't know. But they didn't wait it out to hear what my point of view was. And that I thought that was interesting. I would imagine if someone did a study, they would find that most people that walk out because they don't like a joke have the smallest bar tabs out of anybody else there. So I don't <laughs> think people really care. Now, the people who leave because they're so drunk that, they're, that they can't remain silent anymore, they have the highest bar tabs. So the owners are in the back like, oh, man, I, I hope. Like, they don't want to kick them out, you understand, because they're out drinking all of the civilized, rational people in the comedy club, right? So they're <laughs> they're hoping that you somehow tame them and then make them happy again and make them sit down and keep ordering shots. Because it's all about the bottom line. Yeah. All right. Jaredog, any, any parting shots, any parting thoughts, any words of wisdom you wish to impart upon the world via this podcast before we sign off? Uh, well, hey, man, I would just say along the themes of what we've been talking about, go out there. If you're doing stand up comedy, just be yourself to the fucking hilt and have fun with it. And don't give a shit about who likes you or who doesn't like you. Just do your thing. Do it as much as possible. We now own the media, do podcasts, do video blogs, sell tickets and keep the drunk happy at the back of the table. So that way the club owner's happy too. And that's the, yep. that's the secret, oh, man. Jake, any parting thoughts from you? You got a caller of the week you want to dish or anything exciting? Any, uh, any parting shots? Um, no, no, no callers of the week. I, I will say that... Um, you did Bread Sparrow, so that's sort of your movie review of the week. I did. Yeah, I'll do... Um, I saw I saw Black Panther as well uh, last night. That was it was it was pretty good, and I, I don't even normally like comic book movies. You know, it was it was worth it was worth seeing. I do have a pet peeve. I don't want to give nothing away. In, oh, uh, it's been out several weeks. You can give everything away. Everyone's seen fuck it. Fucking, I'm spoiling the end. So you you know how one one big pet peeve I have with movies with with action movies, anyone where people's getting shot, stabbed, blown up, whatever is. 
I, I know you have to suspend your disbelief, especially when superpowers are involved, right? That being said, when they have such a bad wound that there's no fucking way they, they're, they're living a little bit, but they're carrying on full conversations, I fucking hate it. So this guy takes a giant spear right through his heart. And, yep. the and it's one of those <laughs> wide tip spears to where it's about twice the size of his fucking heart. So this thing essentially just goes through 100% of his heart. It essentially explodes <laughs> this man's heart. And, he just and then he lived for down. like 10 more minutes yeah, to carry yeah, yeah. on a conversation and see out. the sunlight. He has a little yeah. sentimental thing with the guy. You know, they have a heart to heart <laughs> about the Wakandan people and about... Uh, y- or you a know. heart to deflated heart. Yeah, yeah, they go out, they watch the sunset together, they have a cup of coffee or some fucking shit, and then the guy goes, hey, you know, we have stuff that I think might be able to save you. Nah, it's fine, and then he makes some sort of slavery reference, pulls it out of his chest and dies. And I'm like, hey, it was right through his fucking heart. You could have you gone... You could have gone six inches south, and it's like, wow, that's a bad gut wound, seeing as that's the biggest spear that's ever been made. Yeah, I'm probably going to die, huh? Yeah, but I can still talk a bit. I don't know. I just, I don't like that. You can't, you can't stab someone in the heart and then ask him anything. Not to get too medical about it, but after someone takes any piece of metal through the heart, they're not real chatty after that. You know what I'm saying? It's usually their last line in the movie is whatever they said right before they got stabbed in the heart. That's it. That's fucking it for them. They're like, what's what's he gonna do to help him? I know they had those weird little herbs, but what's he gonna? He's gonna call up his sister in the um, in the medical clinic. Like, yeah, hey, listen, I got I uh, I have a patient here. Oh, what's what's his what's his ailment? Uh, spear to the heart. You got anything for that? Do you have anything for spear directly? No, not near the heart. Through his heart. Yeah, you do have something for that. Yeah, we can be there in twenty minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Get the spear for the heart. Uh, uh, medicine ready. Yeah, spear through the goddamn heart. Get, get, get it ready. Have his, have his paperwork filled out because we don't want his, we don't want to see sitting there filling out a lot of. He doesn't want to fill out paperwork. He has a spear right through his goddamn heart. But otherwise, a good film. Otherwise, nah. I mean, it was, it was, it was a comic book movie, whatever. But I, I will say, I liked it more than most comic book movies because. The thing that I hate about most comic book movies is just the hack premises in general. The, oh, I have superpowers, and i got to keep the city safe. And, oh, this other guy's got superpowers, but he's a dick. And I'm going to hook up with that lady at the end that I kind of made an awkward ass of myself in the beginning before I had the superpowers. That's every single comic book movie for the most part. Whereas this has sort of like a futuristic city and another civilization. And, it's it, you know, I, I like science fiction movies, so this kind of fell enough into that realm that I could I could get on board behind it. All right, fair enough. Well, Jared Dog, thanks for hanging out with us and shooting the shit. Appreciate it. Thanks for talking. Yeah, to thank you, buddy. Again. This is so fun. All right, uh, Jared Dog, what's your what's your website? P- plug yourself. Promote your website. Uh, JaredDogComedy.com, and I do my live video blog every day, four twenty p.m. on my Facebook page. So give a Jared Dog, search Jared Dog in your Facebook search line, and you will find Jeremy Jared Dog Danley because Facebook wouldn't let you just name yourself Jared Dog because Facebook is prickly and uh, dickish like that. Yeah, you need it's a not real on the birth name. certificate. Exactly. Uh, JakeVever.com, NathanTimmel.com. Uh, tell people to listen to us, spread the word, share the podcast, and thanks for tuning in, and hopefully talk to you next week. Bye. Later. Later.